What's going on, everybody? Just wanted to let you know that we are chopping this episode up into two pieces. So if you're here for some horror games, that's going to be coming up in the next episode. Otherwise, stay tuned for some N64 goodness. Welcome to the 25th anniversary of the Nintendo 64 launch celebration and horror games. We're going to celebrate those today because it is October. Well, it's going to be by the time you hear this or at least close to it. Um, so today we're going to be doing those things. Uh, Wes, my good friend, how are you? I'm good, my friend. I'm good. Excited to talk about more games. Absolutely. But before we do that, just a bit of housekeeping really quick. Before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to Bernardo for his support over on Patreon. Thank you, Bernardo, for doing that. Thank you, Bernardo. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You guys can support us over there as well. Patreon.com slash Nerdthusiast, where you can get exclusive videos from a variety of our creators every single month. Please be sure to also follow us over on Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Nerdthusiast on all of those things. And of course, if you would please like, subscribe, share, give us a five-star review on the podcast. Those things really help us out and it doesn't cost you a dime. So if you have the opportunity to do that, we would greatly appreciate it. Now, before we start the N64 stuff, really quick, this will be a nice little segue here. I picked up some new Nintendo Switch games recently. I got WarioWare and... For the Nintendo 64 fans, we got Cruising Blast. This just came out two days ago, or actually yesterday. So these games are pretty decent. Uh, WarioWare, I've only played for about 45 minutes or so. I played with my wife in two-player mode. Had some fun with that. Cruising Blast, I really, really liked a lot. It brought me back to that period of time. It's a very, very arcade-heavy style racing game. The, the, the computer was kind of difficult, but you can kind of see what you need to do to improve in the game. So it's a clear path. It's probably not going to be too difficult to do, but it will take time. Everything is like kind of locked out of the gate. You only have the first like world tour, which is like four different tracks. And then you have to like gain experience to unlock additional things. There's cars you can unlock, of course. But the, the very first car in the game is a Corvette Stingray, which is one of my favorite cars. So definitely a good start for me. It brought you back, huh? Oh, man, I had a blast. I played it for like I was only going to play for like maybe like a half an hour, or like 45 minutes so we could talk about it today. But I ended up playing it for like two hours this morning. It was it was great. I really enjoyed it. Well, cruising lines have always been fun to play. So, And, you know, the music reminds me of like those games back then, too. It's like kind of cheap and cheesy. And I was like, <laughs> man, I don't think I like this music. It has like its own like theme song with like some some woman like singing cruising, you know, like, <laughs> like exactly what you would expect from a, like, from a game from that era. Which at first I was like, oh man, couldn't they get like some licensed bands in here or something like some kind of good soundtrack going on? But then I was like, well, at least it fits with, you know, that time frame. All right. Well, it looks like I got a game to buy. Yeah, man. It's only 40 bucks, not 60 or 70. (laughs) Wes, let's start with you, sir. What are some of your favorite Nintendo 64 experiences? Wow, my my favorite experience with Nintendo 64 was the first time I popped in Mario. Mario 64. It nice. was it was it was great, you know, it was running around in 3D, you know, for the first time. Love always played Mario. It was great, it was fun, but then seeing him in a 3D environment, that was that was probably like my favorite 
experience because it, it just you can't recapture that. No, you can't. You can't was, recapture that. That was the first 3D game you played then? For the 64, yes. And then playing Wave Race, you know, seeing the water physics. It was, yeah, it was that was that was some good times, man. Yeah, Wave Race was really cool. I definitely enjoyed that quite a bit. I didn't own it, but I rented it a bunch of times. Of course, if you were renting games in the early N64 days, there was about three or four games that, that were out. So you pretty pretty much, if you owned one or two, you were only renting the other one or two that were out at that time. So that's like all you could rent for a while. That's true. But Mario 64 was like fantastic, without a doubt. Like, I mean, that was, the, that was the game that got me, like, I would say that that was the game that made me still play games today because I was really close to falling out of it. I was like, this was after obviously Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. I was like, well, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm done with this. I was like, I wasn't even planning on getting the console. I walked into a, you know, a department store uh, and I played it for the first time like there. And I was like, oh my God. And immediately I had to have it like that. that as soon as you run around with Mario 3D for the first time, it was, it, that was I it. can't explain to you younger kids out there, like how groundbreaking that was. Like it was unbelievable. It, it literally broke my mind in half. I couldn't believe that, that was possible in a video game form. Right. Cause he still, it felt like you were playing 2D Mario with it the did. running and the jumping and the sound effects. And, but it was just in 3D. And, and what a great way to explain the camera system, especially to children. Like, they're like, hey, like, right when the game starts, like, oh, here's, I think they call him Lakitu or something. Like, this guy is following you around with a camera and you can move him from this direction. That's what, that, mm-hmm. this, this is how you can see. Like, y- you immediately could wrap your mind around it, no matter how old or young you were. You're like, oh, I get it. You know, like, that, that was so ingenious of them to install that in the game right in the beginning, even though it kind of takes you out of the experience. It teaches you immediately how to use the camera in a 3D game for the first time. So that was definitely my biggest experience as well. There's plenty of other ones we're going to get into uh, in a few minutes. What about like peripherals? Because this system had like a bunch of different peripherals um, that you and I both, I'm sure, enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the Rumble Pack comes to mind first because, you know, it was even though the PlayStation, you know, came out with the, the DualShock controller, but the, the Rumble Pack, you know, you plug it in the bottom and and you know, it gave you, you know, simulated rumbles every time you did something. I was, I remember because I was at working at EB at the time and we sold tons of them. Just about every game was compatible with the rumble pack. Yeah, so the rumble pack went into the bottom of the N64 Mm -hmm. controller. Yeah, the memory card went in the bottom where the rumble pack goes. So you couldn't technically use both at the same time. You had to like swap them out when you wanted to save and stuff. Yep. Which was kind of foolish of them. They should have kind of thought about that ahead of time. But the Rumble Pack was awesome, man. Do you, do you remember the first game that came with the Rumble Pack? Star Fox. Yes, it was. was. It, Star Fox? it was Star, Star Fox. Fox 64 <laughs> came with a built-in Rumble Pack. And that it game, did. I think, I mean, we'll get into this in a few minutes about the prices, but I, I want to say that game was $90 because it came with a Rumble Pack and the, the cartridge together. Yep. And I remember and, getting that game for sure, man. That game was awesome. That, that was another, what a wonderful experience. In my, in my opinion, the best Star Fox game. Yeah, because you figure that was like the first Star Fox game we got since Nintendo, Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Since Super Nintendo, because they scrapped Star Fox 2. And then, so we haven't had a Star Fox game in such a long time. And then we got that. And it was, it was what everybody wanted. Yeah, and it had it had branching paths, so it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you can go this way and beat the game, but if you do this, you can go over here and you can beat the game this way. Man, I played the hell out of that game. I played the multiplayer in that game. I played everything <laughs> in that game. 
And having that rumble pack and the controller shaking for like the first mm-hmm. time was such an yep. experience. What a wonderful experience that was. Yeah. Oh, Star Fox. Yes, it was. And then we had the, the controller packs also. Like mm-hmm. the controller packs were are what Nintendo called the memory card for whatever reason. They, they you know Nintendo had mm-hmm. a Nintendo things and just like all right, we're not gonna we're not gonna call this a memory card. We're gonna call it a controller pack. <laughs> and they didn't spell it P A C K. Everything was P A K. So it was like controller pack, rumble pack. That's how they like defined most of their like you know accessories that fit into the controller. Okay, here's a question for you. What was your experience holding Nintendo 64 controller for the first time? Because it was very <laughs> odd shaped. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was. It was very odd shaped. And like, you know, the, the first time, it's been a long time. It's been decades at this point. But I believe the first time I held it, I didn't grab it the way you're supposed to grab it. I grabbed it by the D-pad and the buttons on the mm-hmm. outside. And I was trying to control Mario at this kiosk in the department store. And obviously Mario doesn't run using the D-pad. So then I, I I sat there for like a moment. I was like, what the hell am I doing here? I was like, all right, all right. Move my hands around, like move it to the middle. But as soon as he was running around and I can control him in 3D with that stick, I was like, I get like I instantly got it. It wasn't like it yeah. didn't take me an extremely long time to figure out. Like I understand how some people would struggle with that with that. And, and I'm sure I did a little bit. But I wrapped my head around it rather, rather quickly. Um, did you have a similar experience? It was. It took me a minute to kind of grasp it because it, the way you had to hold it, it, it just it didn't feel like a regular controller. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. So it took, uh, you know, it took me a minute to kind of get adjusted to it. Um, you know, depending upon what game I was playing, it took a little longer, but you know, eventually we got it and we, it was second nature and we just picked it up and ran with it. And it was what it was. <laughs> it kept on moving. Right. There was definitely a learning curve for sure. I'm not saying that there wasn't, but I feel like if you were already playing games at that point and like you kind of transitioned from Super Nintendo to that, mm-hmm. you know, I think you picked it up like you didn't pick it up immediately and understood it, but like you, you could understand how it was supposed to work and what you needed to do to get better at right. the game. Right. Yeah, I, I felt like that too. And you know, like when 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 I give people controllers today, and like they're baffled by like dual analog sticks. I I, <laughs> I get that that's harder because one controls the camera and one doesn't. But with the N sixty four, it was just the one analog stick, so that yep. I feel like that was a, a much more easier path to get into than to hand a controller with two analog sticks and be like, here, you'll you'll understand this because <laughs> you know that really like affected a lot of people who especially didn't play games for a while. Yeah, but like you said before, it's like. Your, your natural instinct is to, when you first grab the Nintendo 64 controller, is to grab it on the sides yep. and hold it like a regular controller. Because it, it had the three, I guess the three necks. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it was, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird and everybody gives that controller crap. I still love that controller to this day. I, I remember counting the buttons on it like when I was younger. It was like, I was like blown away by how many buttons were on that controller because there, there was no controller that had that many buttons at the time. <laughs> I was like, I can't even understand. This is amazing. Like, There's so many buttons on this controller. And I understand it was kind of advanced and hard to get into, but I, I like the N64 controller. I don't love it. Uh, it's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. But when people talk trash, I'm like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, you just, you just, you know, <laughs> get up you're and just play. used to what you're used to now. <laughs> yeah. You didn't grow up with it. That's for damn sure. Oh, what else? What else did we have? What else did we have? We had, oh, the expansion pack. Remember when the expansion pack came out? Yes, I do. And do, get, do you remember the game that, that came with? It came with Donkey Kong. 
Yes, it did. It came and with Donkey, Donkey Kong 64. And you were able to get these expansion packs. I, I, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure those expansion packs came out first. They were available for like a, like a little while. And then Donkey Kong came out with the, the official one from N64. Because there was third-party memory packs that weren't made by Nintendo. Yeah, uh, I think Mad Cats made, made some. Mad Cats made some for sure. I got one from, from an EB, EB Games or Games, or not GameStop. It would have been it would have been Electronics Boutique or Babbage's at that time, I believe. Okay. But I, I the first one I owned was like a third-party one. And the guy at the store convinced me to get it because they didn't have the N64. And I was like, all right, whatever. He's like, it's the same thing. And I tried it. I was like, well, I still want the Nintendo one. So then I got the one with Donkey Kong. And I was like, all right, swap those things out. Never use the other one again. Yeah, yeah. For for people who don't know, the the expansion pack gave the Nintendo extra RAM. Yep, RAM to run to run the the more graphically heavy games like uh, Star Wars, Star Wars Rogue Squadron definitely needed it. Donkey Kong needed it. I think Zelda needed it. Um, yeah, and these games wouldn't work without it. Yeah, they they either wouldn't work without. It. There'd be like a warning on the thing. It would say like expansion pack required. And what's funny now in like in like the retro community, um, when you buy an N64, if, if the person that you're buying it from doesn't know what they're doing and you open up that, that that expansion pack is, is, is worth some money now. Like people look for those things. Um, so I've seen like people selling N64s that don't have any memory. Like there's no RAM at all. Like they remove the RAM. They remove the RAM out. Yeah. Like if you guys are buying N64s, you need to look at that. Open up that slot. Make sure there's some sort of RAM in there. And if you see that it's the expansion pack, then, you know, you're making out like a bandit as long as they're not, you know, charging you an arm and a leg for it. Mm -hmm. But you definitely want to have that for, you know, I think I want to say Ocarina of Time might have used that. Or not Ocarina yeah. of Time, the, the sequel, uh, Majora's Mask. I think Majora's, Majora's Mask. Mask used it. Um, definitely Donkey Kong, obviously. Mm -hmm. Maybe Jet Force Gemini, because I think that was a later release. Um, I think so. Perfect Dark, I believe, used it. I, yes. I, I'm just guessing off of what like my my memory was from decades ago, so you'll have to forgive me if I'm incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what else, what else did we have uh, peripheral wise? Oh, the Game Shark. Yes, Game Shark was a, a classic. So I had the Game Shark for the N64. I, I've had them um, for. I had a Game Genie for the NES at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what happened to it. I don't know how I got it. It was in my house for a period of time. And then it disappeared. I don't know if we, we bought one and we gave it away or if my cousin maybe brought one over and we used his. I have no idea. But I did use a Game Genie before. And then uh, for the Super Nintendo and Genesis uh, uh, era, uh, I also, kind of similar situation, I had a Game Genie at some point for the Genesis. Mm -hmm. And I, I used that for like a, a few certain things. But the 64, the only thing I really remember using the Game Shark for a lot was, was Goldeneye. And that, you know, I used to unlock all the modes right away. And eventually I got excellent at that game. And I didn't, I didn't even need a game shark. I just unlocked everything myself. But that was a good first step to having like, you know, paintball mode turned on. You can, you can do all sorts of stuff, turning on big head mm -hmm. mode immediately. Like when you're playing multiplayer, all that stuff was a blast. Yeah, I'd never used a game shark. Uh, I mean, I know what it is. I know what it does. I just personally never took to a game shark. Have you used any uh, like cheat devices like that on any console ever? No, I have not. Really? I have not. You I, never had a Game Genie back in the I, day for I NES? didn't. Nope. I didn't. <laughs> I mean, for that era, I feel like everybody had a Game Genie or they knew somebody who had a Game Genie and they used theirs at some point. Yeah, I knew how they worked. 
Um, you know, the Game Genie, the Game Shark. I just, I never personally owned one and never, I don't know. I just suffered through and did everything the hard way. <laughs> hey, man, I mean, that's respe- respectable, you know. I, I I used it for certain situations. I don't even remember what the hell it was. Like, I couldn't, it was probably like stupid things, like, you know, like, like turning on those modes in Goldeneye. I don't think that I ever used it to like, oh, I'm going to get past this boss and be, like, be invincible or anything like that. But, I, you know, if you locked me out of modes and I wanted the modes, like that's what I would probably use it for. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. While we're on the subject, just a quick segue. Have you used strategy guides before? I have. I have. Now I'll use, I'll use that. If I'm really, really stuck, I'll, I'll use a strategy guide or uh, like if I was super excited about a fighting game and I really wanted to learn the character quickly, I would, get a strategy guide to learn like moves and special moves instead of, you know, doing the stuffering through it and learning it on my own. But yeah, I did use a strategy guide every now and then only when I really needed it though. I do too, but in like very specific situations, like it's really odd. Like I've used like online guides before I've used strategy guides before. And in most situations I find them quite annoying. Like, cause I have to stop what I'm doing mm-hmm. and like invest, like I'm looking at a screen or I'm looking at a book and I'm figuring out what to do from reading. So I'm constantly having to stop my experience with the game and use those things. So I typically don't like them with one major exception. Every, I, I, I know this is probably going to sound crazy to some people, but every time there's a Zelda game, I have to have the strategy guide. Because I want to, I don't just want to play the game. I want to devour every single thing that is in that game. And God forbid I miss something. Like, you know, I put, you know, well over probably 150 hours into Breath of the Wild, uh, wow. Ocarina of Time. I beat, uh, I don't even know how many times. I think I beat the Japanese version where everything was mirrored as well. And I, I mean, I used guides, but like it, it was because, not because I wanted to like, cheat and beat the game it's like i don't want to miss anything like this experience is so good that there's not a single thing that i want to miss in this game and it's mostly zelda games where i use guides i have guides to all sorts of games and i hardly ever look at them for anything but zelda i'm getting the guide and i'm getting the hardback if i have the option next up we got something interesting here so we, we talked about peripherals for a while there's there's another notable thing with n64 stuff this was during a time when PS1 came out. And mm-hmm. if you don't remember, I remember, I'm sure Wes remembers. One thing that PS1 had over N64 and any of its competitors is they use CDs. And mm-hmm. aside from being able to program on CDs, which was kind of an advantage at the time, it was easier for people to do because of computers and stuff. The CDs were way cheaper than cartridges, right, Wes? That's correct. Do you remember what like the average price was for uh, a PS1 game comparable to an N64 game at that time? Oh man. So PS1 games ranged anywhere from I want to say anywhere from 30 to $50. That's what I remember as well. Yeah. Whereas 64 games, you got Sticker Shock. Cuz one of my favorite games that I that was definitely a system seller. I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. Was Killer Instinct, and it came Ooh, that in. That was at, a rough one. At ninety dollars, I was like, "Oh my god!" But I, I kind of like stood there and shot for like two minutes, and I paid it anyway. <laughs> I wasn't big into Killer Instinct. I remember reading it in magazines and stuff, and I remember just seeing that in the store. And I, I was pretty little at the time, and I just, I was just like, 
I'm never going to pay $90 for a game. Like I can't afford $90 for a game, but it was absolutely, it was like $89.99. And I was like, you know, most, from what I can recall, most 64 games at that time were like $59.99 or more. It just depended on, on whatever cartridge you were looking at. And when that was $90, I was like, like, holy crap, like that's insane. Like I I think an N64 was like $250. So the game was almost $100. You were like talking about almost like, you know, a third of the cost of the N64 for a game. Like, that's crazy, man. Yeah. It, you know, I think I remember when, when Turok came out, I want to say Turok was like $70. Yeah, that sounds right. They were up there, man. It, you know, it's, it it, it reminds me of, and I, we mentioned it once before, like Neo Geo, Neo Geo's cartridges were like astronomical, but I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, granted 64 games weren't, as nearly as expensive as a Neo Geo cartridge, but they might as well be at $90. Yeah, I mean, that, and Nintendo was like all family friendly and stuff. You had the NES, you had the Super Nintendo. And I think some of the Super Nintendo games were kind of high too. But when N64 came out, there was a big push for everyone to start using discs to make the cartridge, you know, to make the games cheaper. And Nintendo was like, no, <laughs> like, we don't care. It's still going to be on a cartridge because it, I believe that they wanted to make sure their games didn't get pirated. I think that's what they were yep. worried about, which is why they didn't want to use CDs. Yeah, I was I was really impressed that Nintendo went against the grain um, and went stuck with cartridges because everybody else was CDs. You had the Saturn, you had the PlayStation, you know, everything was moving in that direction uh, and they stuck with cartridges. It was all not only was that important, but like it was like if you were reading magazines, if you were paying attention to the industry, discs were like, oh, my God, this is like the cool thing. CD-ROMs like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And this is like way late in the game. Nintendo's like, no, we're still using cartridges. So they they just looked like very out of touch with things. Yeah, I mean, graphically, it it had some disadvantages because with the Nintendo 64 games, they always had that fog. All their games had this, this was like, notorious for that. Yeah, they all had this foggy look. Whereas a PlayStation game, because it was on CD, it, it the colors were bright, the sound was was crystal clear. You know, it was it was a different experience, but it was one that you kind of forgave because of the library you had, and you just you still enjoyed the ex- Nintendo sixty four experience for what it was. Absolutely, and I mean, and people who love the sixty four. It doesn't have a huge library. Like it, it's totally like a collectible library if you're trying to complete a collection. There are some hard to find titles on the N64, but it, it's pretty reasonable, especially compared to today's standards with thousands of games now coming out for systems. The, the most important thing on the console, of course, is the games though. So Wes, what were your favorite games or experiences on the N64? Oh man, favorite games. Well, I already mentioned Killer Instinct. Uh, I'm a huge Killer Instinct fan. You know, played it in the arcade, which... You know, when we talked about Dreamcast, we talked about how Sega's arcade board, the Naomi board, was the same thing that powered the, the Dreamcast. And yep. when Nintendo 60, when Nintendo put out their arcade board, the Ultra 64, you know, the 60, you know, Nintendo 64 had the same motherboard. So it was pushing the same power. So I demolished Killer Instinct in the arcade. And I was so super stoked when it came out on Nintendo. So, yeah, so Killer Instinct. Killer Instinct Gold, even at the $90 price, was one of my favorite games. Uh, we talked about Turok. Uh, Turok 1 was a great experience, but Turok 2 just took it to a whole nother level. 
because the, the weapons that you got, uh, you know, playing it in four player. My, my favorite weapon was the cerebral boar. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I, I kind of do. Like I played uh, Turok 2 is Seeds of Evil, right? That was the that sequel. Was Seeds of Evil. Yeah. 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 So I never owned the Turok games, but I remember repeatedly renting them, especially uh, number one and number two. I think that the third one that was on N64 also, wasn't it? Yes. I, I don't think I barely played the third one at all, but one and two, I played quite a bit. And the, the weapons in that game were awesome. The mm-hmm. second one, you're right, was a huge step up in the first game, but the first game was on, like, I think it was an earlier N64 games also. So it was like, oh my God, this is like a first person shooter on a console. Like, you know, this, this is crazy. This was, this was pre GoldenEye, was it not? Yes. I want to say Turok was pre GoldenEye. Turok I think won. it was. Yeah. Was I think the first one was. So it was like, oh my God, you're playing like a first person shooter on a console. Like, this is crazy. It's actually working. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the, the areas were, especially with Turok one, the areas were huge. Again, everything was in 3D, uh, so that was that was that was great. Um, what else was my favorite games? Uh, Star Wars, the Star Wars games, because we had a couple of them for 64. Classic. Uh, Shadows of the Empire, third-person adventure game, you know, set in times of uh, Empire Strikes Back. That was great. Then we had Broke Squadron, which was oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, with the X with the uh, X wings that used the, the expansion pack. Um, yes, it did. Yeah, we had Pod Racer. Oh man, yeah, Pod yeah. Racer did come out on sixty four. I I prefer the Dreamcast one, which I mentioned on the other show. I, I do too. But the N sixty four one was definitely playable at the time because the Dreamcast one I think came out like a, a couple of years later. So mm-hmm. like, if you only had the N sixty four one, unless you played in the arcade, that was the best way to play it outside of the arcade. Yeah. Oh yeah, Pod Racer. That was great. Uh, and we had we had we had Winback. Winback was the. Uh, I want to say it was it was a ripoff of Metal Gear. It tried to be Metal Gear because it had that espionage stealth type, but a little bit more on the action side. But I remember playing it and I I was enjoyed it. I was like, wow, this is actually pretty decent. A, a painful truth is I know exactly what Winback is. I remember mm-hmm. reading it in magazines mm-hmm. and I never got around to buying it at the time, unfortunately. So I, I never even rented it, never played the game before. And, you know, People have told me I need to pick it up and check it out. I've got to get that game at some point. I definitely need to give it a go around, but I, I've never even had the experience with it yet. Well, they re-released it on PlayStation 2, so you can find it for PlayStation 2. Oh, I think I've, I think I kind of remember that, but I don't... Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and see if I can find that. Yeah, Whitpack was actually was pretty good, pretty good. Um, what a, Oh, Extreme G. Extreme oh, G yeah. Racing. Oh, that was fantastic. I mean, it's basically... Extreme G, if you guys don't know, is F Zero with motorcycles, essentially. Mm-hmm. Oh, and weapons. It, it, it was very Wipeout ish. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to describe it. And I loved Wipeout. Loved Wipeout. Um, but yeah, where they, they were like, like if anybody that's listening or watching is familiar with Tron, they were like these little Tron style motorcycles. Yep. And you know, you picked up weapons as you went on, just like Wipeout. But one of the cool things where after you hit a certain speed, you would break the sound barrier and you would hear like a, a light rumble and then the whole game would go silent yep. until, you, until you crashed and then sound would kind of revert back to normal. But no, Extreme G 1 and 2, loved them. Um, and then we had <laughs> Conker's Bad Fur Day. <laughs> oh, I mean, 
when we get into That's the rare classic, stuff, man. I mean, rare. This was like rare's heyday. Like rare. Yes. Put out so many amazing games in the N64, and I think if if I'm wrong, somebody can correct me. But I believe Conquer's Bad Fur Day was their last game on the N64. It was a late release, and it was it was something totally different from rare at the time. Yeah, because they had uh, briefly put out Banjo Kazooie which was fantastic, you know, very kid-friendly. And there was a lot of rumble about Conker's Bad Fur Day. You know, all the gaming magazines kept, you know, talking about it. And then it came out and it had a mature 17 or older <laughs> sticker on it. But it still looked like a rare game. It still and looked like a cute little platformer, but it was rated mature. It was rated mature. Uh, I remember <laughs> a lot of disappointed kids, that had to get, they had to get turned away. Cause I couldn't sell it to them. They were not I, like, I think me. I had my parents buy that for me at the time. <laughs> it was for what, for those who don't know, Conker was, he was, he was a squirrel. So it had the cute aspect, but it had pure adult overtones, a lot of sexual innuendo, uh, a lot of uh, like fart jokes. And it was just, it was, yeah. Conker, Conker, Conker was a really good platformer though. It was a really good platformer. Um, when you start out the game, I, I was like, again, pretty young when this came out, but I, I was get I was start I was probably like a young teenager or something like that. And I thought it was so cool because when you start out the game, Conker was, was drunk and he had a hangover from like the <laughs> night before. And that's how the game starts out. It's like, you don't know what happened to you the night before. And, <laughs> and then he's like cursing and stuff immediately <laughs> as the game starts. It, immediately. it was hilarious. Yeah. And then the whole, uh, the B stage where you had to quote unquote pollinate her and the queen oh bee. <laughs> we were like, Oh my God, we're we playing this on the 64. <laughs> it was crazy that Nintendo let that happen. Cause they, I mean, they had, even at that time, they had such a family friendly image. I think today they are a little bit less reserved than they used to be, but I mean, it was crazy that they let that come out. I think, I think rare was in such high standards for them. They were like, I don't, they were just like, you can make whatever you want. We don't care. <laughs> And it, it sold like crazy at the time. It's Conquer like today is, is a pretty expensive N64 game if you have a complete in box. Like that, it, it's a yeah. pretty sought after game at this point. Oh, yes, it is definitely sought after. If you have a complete in box, it's, it's a hefty penny. You know, I see it every now and then coming into the store at level up. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't see it often now. That's another thing about N64 games, uh, which is, you know, this is close to the end of that era like gba was like really nintendo's last era of having cardboard boxes but once once they started like getting into the gamecube and stuff like that and they made you know plastic cases people actually started keeping their cases but at this time people still got rid of their cases and just kept the cartridges so that that's why you'll see a big swing from like mm -hmm. cartridge only to complete in box in, in those games yeah yeah definitely you know uh, other than that i think i have one or two honorable mentions you know i had uh I'm trying to think what else uh, you know it had 64 did have wipeout which i already mentioned that i loved it on the playstation uh they did have ridge racer a version of ridge racer and i again loved ridge racer the the drifting racing game that was popular on playstation so they, yeah there there were a few but those those were my standout games for in my library wes are there any other honorable mentions you want to give yeah you know one more um it was a, a japanese import game called sin and punishment it oh, was, uh, I, I have the sequel on the Wii. Oh, I never played the sequel for the Wii. I love the first one. 
running gun it? shooter. It was it was fantastic. It was so good because uh, Die Hard Gaming Magazine covered imports. And as I mentioned before, I was a big on import games and they kept talking about it, talking about it. So I wound up importing it and it was it was worth every penny. Sin and punishment. Yeah, that's that was, that was a good, good game. Good game. So, yeah, other than that, that's it. That's it for me. Uh, how, how about you? With your gems. Well, I mean, the, the biggest one we already talked about, so I'm going to skip skip over speaking that again, but Super Mario 64 was the reason I bought an N64. And out of all the games in existence, if any game should cost $1.5 million, it probably is <laughs> Super Mario 64. Even though it's not actually worth it, it probably is because it's like the best game in the world. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Some other notable mentions on here. Uh for me, for my experiences, uh, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of rare games on here. So let me go through some of the minor ones first. I'm, I'm going to call the minor ones just because I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about them. 1080 Snowboarding, I own it today. I did so not. Good. I didn't own it back in the day. But, Wes, I don't know how many. This is, again, when you're a kid, you don't have a lot of money. I don't know how many times I rented 1080 Snowboarding. Oh, man, how could I forget that off my list? That was so. It, the, the snow physics? What? I went back and played it uh, probably, I would say I played it like a month or two ago. And Ooh, it doesn't hold up that well. It's, it's rough, man. <laughs> it's, it is rough around the edges for sure. But, you know, if you kind of like put yourself back in that time, you're like, yeah, I, I can understand why this was so good. But if you, if you gave it to a, a younger person today, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, you guys like this game? Like, like, I can imagine them saying that to me, and I would understand that they didn't understand it. Yeah, you know, that's it's it's such a shame that the current generation is kind of missing out on the experience of 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 seeing something for the first time. But you you were an old schooler, man. You probably raised your kids right. You probably showed them like the old school stuff first, didn't you? I did. I did. And I, tr- I tried. I tried. Some took to it. Some didn't. So. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't force them, but. Nah, mm-hmm. nah. My son, mostly. My my daughter could care less. You know, she was all about the Barbies and the pound puppies and all that other stuff. And then my other daughter, same thing. You know, now she's the gamer now. She, she's all about Destiny and all that other good stuff. They like the new stuff. They like the new stuff. Me, I, the old stuff, man. Brings now, me back. If you, if you don't mind me asking, if you don't want to talk about it, it's fine. May I ask how old your kids are, approximately? I have adults, man. You have adults. <laughs> I have, okay. So, I have adults. Good. I already kind of knew that, but I wanted the audience to know that. Right. Um, do, are they nostalgic for stuff from when they were kids the same way that you and I are nostalgic for, like, the the, the really retro games, like the NES games and the, the Genesis games and stuff? My son is. Okay. My son kind of goes back and remembers, you know, playing with me or watching me play, you know, uh, the old games, you know, because he grew up on the 64. Uh, so he he remembers playing those games. Uh, my daughter's no, not so much. My one daughter is is, is a big gamer. But she, she just li- likes new stuff. She likes the new stuff. She likes Destiny, uh, you, know, you know, Monster Hunter. She likes the new stuff. My son really isn't, he enjoyed the old stuff and seeing it, you know, he remembers it and he, it brings him back and has those fond memories, but he, he doesn't actively go back to play the old stuff. 
like like I do. Gotcha. At least he has, go, he has an understanding of where it came from, and he can like you know. You can relate to it, but for sure. Like me, I'll go back and I and I'll play it all day long, and I'm just as happy. <laughs> I'd rather play the old stuff than the new stuff. I mean, I'm getting to that point too, and this is kind of a newer thing that's happened with me in the past few years. Like, I, I definitely still play. I obviously play new games. I showed some off to you, but it's like, like here, Cruising Blast came out this week on on Tuesday or Wednesday. I think it was Tuesday. It was the same day that another game that was brand new got like 10 out of 10s, like across the board. Everybody's playing the new Bethesda game that just came out. And here I am buying a cruising blast game <laughs> on a, the budget price of 40 bucks, you know, which game and that's that? where I'm at today. I'm, I'm skipping the big, like, you know, five-star re- review, 10, you know, 10 out of 10 games. Mm-hmm. To play sometimes like oh it's an old school arcade game that sounds awesome let me let me go play that instead. Which which other which other new game came out? It was uh, you go back in time. Oh oh that game Death Loop Death Loop Death Loop yes wow. so that that game's getting like tons of like great reviews right now and I couldn't care any less I'm just like cool Cruising Blast is out where <laughs> I'm gonna go play those instead I'll get Death Loop in the future when it's like twenty bucks. <laughs> Plus, here's my other thing with Deathloop. Just a quick tangent. Xbox owns Bethesda. Mm-hmm. Deathloop is a timed exclusive on PlayStation. If I wait patiently, probably one year, it'll come to Xbox, and all the DLC that they decide to release for the game will probably be included in the Xbox version. So mm-hmm. I'll just wait and get that one. Okay. I'm tired of buying these games and then they put out special editions and stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know. I'm becoming way more cool with like waiting on stuff than I used to be. Um, some other titles I got on here. Let's see. Let's talk about the racing games really quick. Since that we just talked about Cruising Blast. Cruising USA was a classic N64 game. I did play this first in the arcade, which I loved it, which is why I wanted it on N64. And I would say it wasn't as good as the arcade at that time, but it was it was pretty damn close. It was. It was. It was good because I believe that also ran off the Ultra sixty four motherboard in the arcade, didn't it? I don't remember. Uh, I want to say it did. It's very possible say. that it did because that was the only system it got ported to. Cruising wasn't on anything else but the N sixty four, at least at that time. And then there was also San Francisco Rush, which was another comparable thing, like absolutely oh. fantastic in the arcades. The N64 version was almost as good as the arcades, not as good because there, there's probably more stuff. And you know, obviously you have a you have a steering wheel, mm-hmm. stick shift, you know, but San Francisco Rush was a blast to play as well. I was going to ask you uh, what what's your thoughts on, on the Rush games? You got Rush and you got Cruising. Oh, I like them both. I can't pick and choose. I, I do like <laughs> them both. I would say I think it, I want to say it was San Francisco Rush 2 or 2049. It was one of those mm-hmm. where they had like like a stunt track. And I, I don't know how many hours I put into that stunt track on N64, but it was an, a ridiculous amount. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, you, as you're talking about cruising rush popped into my head. Uh, it, yeah. They were, they were good. They were really good. They were fun. Yeah. They were outstanding. What else you got on your list? Um, so I'm just going to keep kind of trying to go for like some of the, the outer stuff that I, I don't play as much today, but I used to back then. So uh, there was a Ken Griffey Jr. baseball game uh, that was fantastic. It was Major League Baseball featuring Ken Griffey Jr. That that at the time was like the best baseball game. Like I played the hell out of that baseball game. And I was still in the sports, you know, back then, obviously I was still playing baseball and stuff. Did you ever play that game? 
for a hot minute, um, I I kind of gravitated towards All Star All Star Baseball. Uh, from from a I remember that. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. Really? <laughs> it looked nice. Shiny uh, graphics. <laughs> I re- I remember that game. That's why I'm saying that. If you guys remember from back then, this is this is another example of Wes saying, "Oh, it was, it was fine." Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't that fine. King Griffey Jr. was ten times the game. It probably was. baseball was. It was. And then segueing from sports to sports entertainment. WCW versus NWO Revenge was my game of choice. I know a lot of people like No Mercy. I never got to play No Mercy, actually, even to this day, which is, is a shame. I need to go back and pick up No Mercy. But this was like, this is truly the golden age of wrestling games for video games. I mean, these, these games were unbelievable. Even today, these are considered the best wrestling games of all time. Mm-hmm. Have you played any of them? I did. I did. I, when, I'm trying to remember, was this during the Attitude Era? It was right around that time. I think the Attitude Era was start. It was because uh, on N64, there was a, a, a game called WWF Attitude, Attitude. On, yes. on N64 made by a different company, which wasn't the good company. You wanted the ones that were made by THQ. Uh, THQ published them, but TDK. TDK. Or a, 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 no. ATK? One of those things. ATK. The one, the one put out by THQ. <laughs> Yeah, THQ is publishing them, and, and they made WCW versus NWO, and they, they mm-hmm. made uh, – that was World Tour was the first one. Yep. And then Revenge yep. was the second one. And then something happened, and the license flipped, and then they started making WW, WWF games, which is when they made No Mercy. And that's why everybody loves No Mercy, because that was the one that was published by THQ also. Yeah, yeah. No, I do, I do remember, uh, you know, the WCW games were they, – were, they were good. They were, they were enjoyable. You know, had my big papa pump in there. Oh yeah, man. that's right. You got the Wolf Pack. Hulk Hogan was in there. Yeah. Hollywood, I'm sorry, Hollywood Hogan. Hollywood Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> then we have uh, some games published by Nintendo that I loved. There was Mario Kart 64, which at the time was clearly the best Mario Kart game. People kind of don't talk about it as much anymore. That people really talk about Double Dash on GameCube, which I don't understand. I, I'm not that crazy about Double Dash. It's a fine Mario Kart game. I thought the N64 one was better. Um, do you have any affinity towards the 64 version of Mario Kart? Mario Kart to me is always Mario Kart. Um, it, was, it was fun. It was enjoyable. You know, you can... The, the fun thing with the 64, it had the four ports for four players on one console. Oh, of course. You know, that, so that, that was that, huge. That made Mario Kart so much fun. So yes, Mario Kart for 64 was, I preferred over Double Dash. Me too. And I also, to make to make us feel super old real quick, uh, the internet was kind of a newer thing at that time. This was like 1990, probably like 97, I would say Mario Kart probably came out, maybe 98. So the internet was there. It was a thing, but people weren't really use, utilizing it the same way that it was today. And there was a Nintendo Power had a, a uh, contest where there was a specific track. If you, I think it was like Mario Circuit or something like that. If if you beat this specific track and like you you know you get the fastest time and you took a picture at the end and like sent it in, you could win a. I think it was a gold like Mario Kart sixty four controller. And there was only like you know so many of them made. And I remember taking a picture and sending it in because I had like a really good time. I remember playing that track like a million times. Of course, I didn't win, but I was like, I thought I had a really good speed. At, you know, at one point I, I took like, you know, a camera, a disposable camera, took a mm-hmm. picture, had to go get the picture made. 
Then I took the picture, physically mailed the picture in to Nintendo, you know, <laughs> to whatever thing they had to try to win this contest. And today you would just take your phone out, take a picture of the screen and then upload it and upload <laughs> it on a website and send it to Nintendo. They'd have it the same day, like within just a few minutes. <laughs> How times have changed. Definitely. Um, but speaking of uh, Nintendo games, another one that was big from Nintendo was, of course, Ocarina of Time. This is another game that really made me love the N64. Uh, this is my favorite Zelda game, too, like even up to now. I do love Breath of the Wild. I think it's probably my second favorite Zelda game, but still nothing holds a candle to Ocarina of Time. That experience was totally crazy. And being in 3D, the first time you run out the Hyrule Field, there was nothing like that. All right. I got to share a little secret, and I'm probably y'all don't judge me. <laughs> don't do but, it but once the 3d zeldas came out on 64 i have never completed a zelda game wes i know the community don't please don't take my card and don't judge me but it's <laughs> my i know i know it's no, like no. I, I i start them i love them i'll play them but at the time there's too many games coming out and my attention span isn't that long to play Zelda from beginning to end. So I always get distracted by the next shiny thing. And I can and, get that. And I and Zelda kind of gets pushed to the back in favor of like the, the other games that don't take as much time. So to this day, I have never completed a 3D Zelda game. They didn't the old ones on on Nintendo, Super Nintendo, yes, those I beat from beginning to end. But the 3D ones I have never done. So, <laughs> all right. So since we're sh we're sharing stories of embarrassment, I've never completed uh, an old school Zelda game. I never beat Link to the Past, and I never beat the original Zelda. And Zelda Two, I effing hate. So you guys can come at me for that. I know a lot of people love Zelda Two, <laughs> but I can't stand that damn game at all. Like I'm never going to beat it. I have no interest whatsoever. But the original Zelda, I should have beaten, and I never have. And the same thing with A Link to the Past, which it, A Link to the Past is disgraceful. It's 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 an abomination that I've never beaten that game. Oh man, now the old school Zeldas I love, but I, like I said, it's just once they hit 3D, and 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 I love them, and I I think they're fantastic games. But I get you know I'll get 20, 30 hours in it, and then like I said, I kind of get sidetracked, and it gets put to the side, and I never go back and finish it. So. I mean, my me, when Zelda games come out, everything else gets pushed to the side. That's usually what happens with me. It's like, oh, new Zelda, cool. Nothing else matters. We're good. <laughs> We're it's done. On my it's on my bucket list, believe it or not. So I, I, I promise I will finish. I, I will finish them at some point. I, <laughs> just beat Ocarina. It's, it's probably, I would say Ocarina is probably easier to digest than the openness that Breath of the Wild has. So, I mean, you know, Ocarina is still like, it's an open world, but it's kind of linear. It's like, you know, there's still like a finger pointing you like, this right. is, this is, this the way is to go. where you go. Where Breath of the Wild is more like, where do you want to go? You can, you might be able to do this. Can you do this? I don't know. Definitely play Ocarina of Time, Wes. It is, okay. it is amazing. Oh, I played it. I just haven't beat it. Did you at least get to the point where he like takes the sword out and he's like older? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I think that's where the, I stopped playing. Oh, so when the game got good, that's when you decided to that's stop. That's when playing. I kind of put it down. 
not that it wasn't good before and everybody does not mean but like the game got like really good at that point you know mm-hmm. everything turned to like a dark world and like you've seen like the whole hyrule environment yes. like change yep. oh man i was blown away at that time oh man so good so that was another one uh obviously you know the last one I want to mention that we kind of talked about briefly earlier was Star Fox 64. Um, what a wonderful experience. We, we, we already talked about the, the branching paths and everything. You can go down the rumble pack being in there. And I love the, the cheesy voice acting in this game. Like usually that kind of turns me off, but the cheesy voice acting this in this game is like just so perfect. Like it just, it just fits in so well for some reason. And then finally uh, I got just a couple more here. Banjo Kazooie. One of my favorite platformers of all time, Banjo Tooie, which was the sequel. I've probably started that game five times and I've never beaten it. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. It just never, it never convinces me to beat the game. But the first one, I, I don't even know how many times to beat the first one. Probably like five or six times. Oh, the first one was great. Oh my, it was so, so good. good, so good. Everything about it was good. Rare was like at the top of his game, uh, and again, that's kind of why we got Conquer. Um, but no, Banjo Banjo Kazooie was. Oh man, it was it was so much fun, so much fun. And then we had the shooters. I mean, another reason outside of Mario sixty four was Goldeneye. I played so much Goldeneye. I don't even. I couldn't even comprehend how many hours I put into this game. I like. I'm still to this day probably will dominate most people in there. I, I played it, you know, all throughout middle school into high school, and then I didn't play it for like a few years. And then when I was in college. N64s were like dirt cheap. So I picked one up from the store that you and I worked at. Mm. And I picked up a, another copy of Goldeneye, brought it back to uh, my condo at the time with my roommates. And we would play that game till like three o'clock in the morning, tons and tons of times over and over again, just screaming at the top of our lungs. It's amazing how many how many times we did not have the cops called on us. Like we should have had the cops called on us like every other night. Oh, the, the, the single player, I loved. I did beat Goldeneye. Uh, the single player mode, it was... It was it was so much fun with the weapons and, and oh, the yeah. gadgets you get, uh, and then I didn't jump on the the multiplayer until like later, like way later. When really, everybody else was like so good, and I sucked. So, <laughs> you know, my friends would come over and they'd say, "Hey, let's play Goldeneye." It's like okay, and then they were already like so much better than I was because I didn't have anybody really to, to play with. So you know, I didn't want like beat up on my kids all day, all day. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I at least had always one person around, somebody that would play with me, and I just got really, really good at the game. And a lot of the game is memorizing, you know, where the body armor is, you know, which characters are better and stuff. Like, like Trevelyan, I think. I think if you, they never showed you the stats on screen, but I think Trevelyan had like a slightly faster speed to him. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing his name wrong. That's how I've always pronounced it. I have no idea if I'm saying his name wrong. But I think he was just a little bit faster than the other players. And odd job, of course, is very mm-hmm. short. So he had right. an advantage because you walk into a room and where your gun's pointing was, oh, you always had to look down to shoot him. So it always took a second. So whoever whoever was not good, they got to be odd job. Like that was their like handicap, basically, like in goal. <laughs> and then if you happen to get the golden guns and. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just learning like the respawn points and yeah. all that. And I, I had all that stuff down, man. I knew where the body armor was and where the good weapons were. You know, when the game starts, it's a race to whatever good weapons were in that round. Mm-hmm. Uh, proximity mines were tons of fun oh, yeah. hiding them. That was fun. Oh, man. Oh, that was God. fun. <laughs> it, 
like a dirty trick I used to do all the time was I would pick up body armor, throw down a proximity mine, and then when the body armor would respawn, it would be on top of the proximity mine so you couldn't <laughs> see it. <laughs> so they would go to get the body armor and explode. <laughs> oh my God. Such good times. Good times, man. And then there was Perfect Dark, which came out after that, which was essentially the sequel to GoldenEye. They didn't have the rights to James Bond anymore, so they made their own thing. And Perfect Dark was also excellent. It was good. It, it lost some of the excitement that GoldenEye had, I felt. It did. But, but Perfect Dark was still, in its own right, a, a good game. Yeah, they made another, you know, espionage, first-person shooter, mm-hmm. uh, female lead character. And they made their own story out of it. You know, Joanna Dark is the, the main character. And it, yep. it was it was built off the engine that GoldenEye was made off of. So you're getting like GoldenEye. You're just not getting all the Bond licenses and the Bond characters in there. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, Joanna Dark, like she she wound up cultivating like a, a huge following. So, you know, there's people that got much love for Perfect Dark. You, you know, we got the sequel on 360. You know, and, and to this day, they're talking about another Perfect Dark coming. So I'm curious to see what that's going to look like. Yeah, so Perfect Dark got announced about, I want to say it was about a year ago or so. It's mm-hmm. going to be an Xbox exclusive title. Um, of, co- of course, Microsoft bought Rare, so they have the rights to Perfect Dark. Rare is not making this game, however. This, this game is being developed by a brand new, what Microsoft is calling a quadruple A studio. Uh, what is their name? Oh, my gosh. The initiative is the, is the company, and they're supposed to be, you know, like a whole bunch of, you know, bigger people from like different studios and stuff coming together mm-hmm. to make this game. And Perfect Dark is supposed to be like like a next, according to Microsoft, a, tr- a quadruple A experience. So this is going to be something that's supposed to be completely groundbreaking. But they barely showed anything of the game. I'm I'm very reserved in my feelings towards it. I don't know how it's going to turn out yet, mm-hmm. but I think it's going to be good. And the reason I think it's going to be good is. They're not stupid. They understand if they're saying this is a quadruple A game and then they announce it as Perfect Dark that they just took the level of expectation. Like you can call it a quadruple A game, but now you add that it's a quadruple A game and it's Perfect Dark. You just brought it up to this better be the best first person shooter that has come out in the past 20 years, at least in my eyes, by them saying those two things. You know, do you agree with me or do you think I'm crazy? I I have faith in Microsoft because. For years, I have been dying for a Killer Instinct game. For years, years, years. Oh years. yeah. I'd go to E3 and I'd go to Rare. It's like you know, I felt like like bar like, where's my Killer Instinct? Like, where's my Killer Instinct? Where's my Killer Instinct? You know, and, and my friends would laugh because I'd ask for Killer Instinct. We'd go when we were at EB. We would go to the conventions and, I'm, where's my Killer Instinct? And then, when the Xbox One launched, I got my Killer Instinct, and it wasn't made by Rare. It was made by another company, Helix, I think. And it was it was top notch. It, it was so good. So if Microsoft can do that with Killer Instinct, I have faith that they're going to do the same thing with Perfect Dark. I think so too. It's just such a like it's way too ballsy of a statement to make. Like I, I don't know. I just said it. I'm not going to repeat myself again. But it's just I, it, I don't understand. They can't say that to the community and then be like, oh, it's it's an okay shooter. Like, no, you don't you don't say what you just said and then say it's going to be like an average shooter. No, you just said you're going to deliver the most groundbreaking shooter since Halo. That's what you just said to me without actually saying those words, in my opinion. I got faith. <laughs> they better deliver. Otherwise, I'm coming at them. All right. So then we got 
One last game to mention on here. Now, this game came out late to the N64. It was mm-hmm. still a good game on the N64, but its origin state was on PlayStation, of course, which was kind of, this was really weird when this came out, but this, this I think, started kind of where Capcom started making some games for Nintendo. This would, this would go into the GameCube where they made, I think it was called like Capcom five or something like that or seven there was a number tied to the amount of capcom games that were going to come out exclusively exclusively to the gamecube Mm -hmm. and i think this might have been the beginning of this because they released resident evil 2 on the n64 and it came out much later in the n64 than it did on the playstation but i think it sold pretty well and i I, from what i remember it It, reviewed pretty well as well it did it did now i'm trying to remember my mind escapes me right now if it required the expansion pack I can't remember if it did or if it didn't. I don't recall either, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say no on this one. I don't think that it did, but I'm not sure. It it played well, it looked well, it looked just like you know the PlayStation version. Uh yeah, I was surprised when it came out. And again, it was super expensive, what I remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't recall its exact price, but I mean it just off the top of my head, it was probably like 70 bucks. It was probably 69.99, you know, at release, anyways. Yeah, I think that one's like a kind of a harder to find N64 game too. Not like extremely hard to find, but like kind of sought after, kind of expensive. Not something you see every day. That's for sure. Uncommon. It, 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 it was it was pretty uncommon. You know, I mean, like you said, it came out the end of the 64's life, so there weren't a whole lot of copies produced. Um, it's one that I do we do see in the store from time to time. It's usually cartridge only, but to find find one in box and you know complete in box is it's it's kind of rare. Yeah, I can imagine that for sure. Because I mean, at this time, it, I think this would have been the time like Resident Evil Three, I believe, was already out on PS One, mm-hmm. and they're releasing Resident Evil Two on N sixty four like you know, around the same time that Resident Evil 3 came out on PS1. So it's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, where's Resident Evil 3 at? Of course, that, you know, never came out on N64. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm real curious now to see what uh, what that's worth. Oh, so I'm guessing you're checking it now over with our good friends at GameEye. I am. Great? Yes, I am. Let's see. So Nintendo 64, complete inbox, uh, Resident Evil 2. Okay, it's it, you know it's going for about one hundred and fifty-three bucks. That's around. It, that's almost exactly what I thought. I would have thought it mm-hmm. would have been a little bit more, like maybe one hundred and seventy or one hundred eighty, but that was in the ballpark of what I thought it would be. Complete in box. Yeah, it's a little lower than I expected. I thought it'd be a little bit more um, sealed. You're looking just on, at at two hundred and eighty. So, you know, it's not too rare, unrare, but uh, uncommon. What's a loose one like? Maybe sixty bucks or something. Forty-five. Oh, yeah, even cheaper than what I felt. That makes sense. All right, guys, that's it for the N64 stuff. Remember, if you want the horror games, they're going to be in the next episode, so please stay tuned for that. Also, follow us over on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. You guys can like, subscribe, share, follow us, all those wonderful things. Additionally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash nerdthusiasts. We truly appreciate your support. Until next time. You guys take care.